tragically, six weeks after we moved there, John died in a plane crash. So our founder was gone. And so it was a very different universe working for the estate. And to be very honest with you, some of the members of the of the company asked me to do something that I thought was both ethically and morally not right. And yeah. I told them that. They asked me to do, and then they asked me to do it again. And I said, that's fraud. And I'm not losing my license to do yeah. that. And I said, I can either resign or you can not do that. And they said, you can resign. And so I did. And then six months later, somebody dropped a dime on them, not me. And the whole thing got shut down by the office of the inspector general because they were doing something that was fraudulent in the sleep space. You're listening to Hawk Talk, a podcast all about the origin stories of the most interesting people in the world. Today, you know our guests as famous athletes, authors, and entrepreneurs, but there's so much more to this story. Let's get into today's interview with your host, Eric Huberman. All right, you're listening to Hawk Talk. I'm here today with Dr. Michael Bruce. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for coming on. So, you know, I assume the day you're born, you know, come out of the womb and you start coaching your mom on how to go back to sleep or you were a perfect sleeping baby, like something in there. Here's what I can tell you is February 12th, 1968. That was the uh, miracle day moment time yep. of all of that nonsense. So I'm 54 years old uh-huh. and was born in Piedmont Hospital in Atlanta, Georgia, which is actually where I'm from. And no, I did not. Apparently I was not a bad sleeper. I was actually a pretty decent sleeper, at least according to my mom. And and I uh, so had a very nice, you know, kind of suburban life up until about age nine. My parents split up at that point in time, and I end up going with my dad. So when you think back 40 years ago, almost more, eh, not a lot of kids went with their dad full time. So mm-hmm. it was uh, it was a very different environment. I'm an only child. So it was literally me and my dad kind of against the world. My mom had decided to uh, move to downtown Atlanta and then eventually out of town. So I really didn't get a chance to spend a lot of time with her um, and our relationship really wasn't really didn't kind of culminate until much later on in my adult in my adult years but hanging with my dad and um, doing that whole thing you know the typical grammar school going then uh, he ended up getting married again and I ended up in high school and to be fair I was not a particularly great student I was pretty much a B student and I remember that you know my uh, my girlfriend at the time would say you know why do you get B's and I would say because I can study and get a B or I cannot study and get a B so I think I'm just gonna not study study and get a B. That resonates um, a little too much with me. <laughs> I was right. Exact same. A B average student somewhere in the like low threes kind of GPA. Yep. But I didn't, I had to do almost nothing to get that. So I was like, it seems like perfect fit. Yeah, um, it, it was exactly my lifestyle. And what was like, as a kid, did you have like the, I, when I grow up, I want to be X or like, did you have certain passions or hobbies that you thought you were going to pursue? To be honest with you? No, I definitely was one of those kids who in later years in high school, like to experiment with marijuana. So that took me into a different, whole different realm. I started to get less interested in sports, less mm-hmm. interested in hobbies, more interested in partying mm-hmm. and kind of going on that sort of route. And um, to be honest with you, I think I did a little too much and it was definitely a detriment. You know, I didn't didn't get into the colleges that I wanted to get into type of thing because I was having a little bit too much fun in yeah. high school at, at that state, but did actually make it into college. I got a liberal arts degree at a place called Skidmore College in upstate New York. Uh-huh. 
so it's a uh, it's a, actually a really great liberal arts program. Um, and um, I always enjoyed the arts. I thought it was interesting. And what I liked about going to a liberal arts education was all my friends did all these cool things. I had friends yeah. that were artists. I had friends that were dancers. I had friends that were actors. So yeah. on the weekends, we would go to their art shows or to their performances. And so yeah. I got to really be, get an appreciation for performance, for art, for literature, things of that nature. But to be really honest with you, all the cute girls were in the psychology department. So <laughs> I went to psychology um, yep. and that's where I started taking classes, right? And, yep. you know, I psychology was easy. It made sense to me how it worked. Uh, and I thought it was fun and interesting. And again, all the cute girls were in psychology. So why <laughs> wouldn't I be there? So fast forward and it's now my senior year in college. And I've decided I'm not sure I really want to go to graduate school. I think I want to go to medical school. Unfortunately, I had not taken any of my pre-meds. When, how, so how does that happen? We, I want to touch, let's touch on that. Cause like you went from high school partying, you know, dabbling in a lot of different things to choosing psychology for the girls and then decided that's it. I'm going to med school. Right. So while I was in, while I was doing my junior year, I, I was supposed to come home and I was supposed to work for a landscaper and I lost my job. He didn't need me anymore. And so my dad said, you can't come home without a job. So I said, okay, I'm going to apply for some of these summer internship positions. And I ended up getting one at Western Psychiatric Institute and Clinic in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I'd never been to Pittsburgh before. By the way, it's a really cool town. I had a lot of fun there. Summer, um, for sure. Winter's a little tough. Yeah, winter is a little tough. But I was there for a summer internship. Yeah. Um, and for three months of the summer, I got an opportunity to work in one of the most advanced research facilities in the world, uh, working with uh, doctors, MDs, PhDs. And I really started to see the value in those more advanced degrees. And to be honest with you, PhDs didn't make a whole lot of money. And yep. so it was, it didn't make a lot of sense for me to spend lots and lots of time doing that if I wasn't going to be able to have some type of a financial gain on the other side. So brilliantly, I said, I, I think I want to go to medical school now. Yeah. The problem was I didn't, didn't have the pre-meds and it was my senior year. So my senior year kind of sucked because yep. I took regular chemistry and calculus during my senior year when everybody else was out at taking electives and having a good time. Yep. Once I graduated, I then actually, with a degree in psychology, I then actually did a post baccalaureate pre-med program. So organic chemistry, physics, biology, all with lab for an entire year to just wow. knock it all out, right? Yeah. So that's- I, did, I was a business major, but I heard about OCHEM over and over again from my friends that weren't. I heard it's miserable. <laughs> For most it is miserable. There was nothing fun about OCHEM for yeah. sure. Um, so I did that for a year and I said, this sucks. I said, I don't want to go to medical school. I said, if this is what medical school is going to be like, which is like all of these biologies and labs, I said, I don't think this is for me. I completed the program, but now I was kind of screwed because I, I didn't, I, I'd taken the MCATs, but I didn't take the graduate, like the GREs or anything like that. So I took a year off and I was looking for a job and a friend of mine was out in Arizona. And he said, why don't you come out to Arizona? I can get you a job at this sleep laboratory. I was like, that sounds cool. How tough could that be? <laughs> so moved out to Arizona with a couple of friends and, you know, all in the house together type of thing. And I worked for, turned out to be one of the most famous sleep researchers in the world, Dr. Richard Bootson, and really started to get a feel for it and a taste for it. And I was like, this is kind of cool. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's kind of interesting topic. And I was able to get a publication out of my time there. Now, for folks out there who may not know this, if you get published as an undergraduate, that is like your golden ticket to graduate school. It's yes. super duper easy to get into graduate school if you've been published.
published as an undergrad. Well, between the thing in Pittsburgh and the, and the Arizona, I ended up having a publication and all of a sudden it was much easier for Michael to get into graduate school. So yeah. I applied for, and so it took a year, took the GREs, the whole thing, learned a lot about sleep and applied for graduate positions. Now at the time, my father was not well, he was ill. He's fine now. And I was the only person in the family that had any kind of medical background whatsoever. And so I decided to take the offer from the University of Georgia because my family was in Georgia, in Atlanta. Um, I could just be an hour away in Athens. And I, again, my father was there. So I figured it made the most sense to go to the University of Georgia. Uh So went to the University of Georgia, go Bulldogs. By the way, we are number one in the country right now. Just saying. Uh, (laughs) And I'm a big Bulldog fan. I even have two Bulldogs sitting over here. And uh, Like actual Bulldogs? Yes, like actual Bulldogs. Great dogs. Um, And when I was at the University of Georgia, um, it was a great opportunity to really learn a lot about psychology, really dig into the graduate side of things. And while I was there- Yeah, so quick question there. You went to grad school. Well, you didn't go to medical school. School. Right. What did you go to grad school for? So I was I was going to graduate school to get a PhD in clinical psychology. Oh, so I was going back to psychology again. And yeah. here's why. The, the University of Georgia, as you can tell, it's a pretty sports heavy university and they have yeah. an amazing sports psychology yeah. department. And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to look at the clinical psychology aspects inside of real sport. So things yeah. like eating disorders in athletes. And, you know, anxiety for this type, you know, athletes, like looking at real clinical issues, not necessarily sports performance issues that a lot of sports psychologists look at, but more clinical issues and how they affect the athlete. And it was really interesting. I spent uh, four years doing some amazing research, really getting my teeth, you know, cut hard on clinical research, understanding all of that kind of cool stuff. So at the University of Georgia, you go for four years, then you go for a residency where you go and practice what you've learned. Then you come back and you defend your PhD. It's kind of a unique program. And so the residency I wanted to go to was the top residency in the country for sports psychology. It was, believe it or not, it was at the University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson, Mississippi, um, because they had a special program on eating disorders and athletes. And that really fit exactly what I was looking for. But I'm going to be honest with you, Eric, I couldn't get in. Only the Harvards and the Princetons and the Yales got in. University of Georgia's top 20 program, let's be honest with you, wasn't Harvard. Okay. However, the University of Mississippi Medical Center had an extra sleep track that they were trying to fill with a graduate student. So they had a grant that gave them enough money and a professor to study and do research in sleep, but they had to have a graduate student to go with it. And so they were offering this as a a way to earn money or a stipend at graduate school. So what I did was I, I had worked my way through graduate school in the Department of Electrophysiology. So I knew how to use all the machines that you use for the sleep guys. So here's what I did was I sold myself as a sleep guy because I wanted to get in because I figured as soon as I get there, I'll transfer to the sport psychology side of it, right? Just because you tell me I'm not going to be in your program doesn't mean I'm not going to be in your program. It just means you haven't figured out yet that I'm going to be in your program. And (laughs) so I sold myself as a sleep guy, got the position and attended uh, the University of Mississippi Medical Center. First day, I raised my hand and I said, hey, my name is Dr. Bruce and I'd like to transfer. (laughs) And they said, we know exactly who you are. And we had a feeling you were going to do that. So here's the deal. You must stay for six months and do sleep. And then you're allowed to transfer it in whatever aspect of the program that you okay. want to. But we have a we have a grant. We have to fill it. You're the warm body. 
You need to do the work. Yeah. No problem. How tough can it be? It's sleep, right? I mean, I can sleep. How? Again, this can't be all rocket science. By the third day, Eric, I fell in love with clinical sleep medicine. And I'll tell you yeah. why. I help people that fast. It's unfucking believable okay? I can work with somebody in under 24 to 48 hours sometimes. I can change their sleep. And when you change someone's sleep, you change their life. Like yeah. That's how it works. And I've never seen something where I could have that big of an impact that quickly. So yeah. for me, it just turned out to be one of those situations where it's like, wait a second, I can learn how to do some things. I can really help people do it in a very fast way and have it have an impact across their lives like forever sign me up and so that's what i started to do and so and i'm curious you didn't when in your experience in arizona when you were working in a sleep research you didn't have that same kind of you know feeling no, about right and i'll tell you why because research kind of sucks because yeah. all you do is you bring the same person in you run through the same protocol every single time and you don't even sometimes get to know what the data says until yeah. long afterwards because you're blinded appropriately yep. so to the data so yep. for me i think it was that i got to do the clinical work and see the change in people clinically, I think that's yeah. what really kind of turned me on to sleep. Yeah, my wife was pre-med and then worked in a lab and went, she was master's in biology pre-med and then just went, nope, I'm not right. going to do this. Yeah, Exactly, exactly. So so here I am sitting there. And so I have a couple of other interesting kind of tales of yeah. the Michael progression, right? So here I am, I've just graduated from the University of Georgia with a PhD in clinical psychology, I'm looking mm -hmm. for a job. Lo and behold, in the psychology monitor, which is the big newsletter for psychologists, they have a big classified section in the Georgia. It said, looking for a sleep lab clinician. I'm like, done. So turns out it was in Decatur, Georgia, which was literally 25 minutes from my house. So it was easy peasy, right? And so I'm talking to my girlfriend, wife now at the time before I go on the interview. And I turned to her and you'll you'll appreciate this, Eric. I turned to her and I said, if they just offer me $30,000, we can afford health insurance. Like, you remember when you were at that place in your life, oh, right? Yeah. Where you just had to get enough money where you could afford health insurance? Like that's, it was my first job, right? That's yeah, where I was. So I go into the interview and I crush it, right? And he says to me, he says, Dr. Bruce, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pay you 60 grand. We're going to give you two weeks of medical leave. We're going to give you full benefits. We're going to give you a medical leave where you can go to conferences and things like that. And I'm like, this is awesome. Sign me up. He said, there's one caveat. I said, okay, what's the caveat? He said, at the end of the first year, you need to take and pass the sleep medicine board. I said, Dr. Marini. I said, that's a medical board. I, you know, I wanted to remind you, I'm a PhD, not an MD. And he said, Michael, it's a rogue board. There's one year left where non-MDs can take the board. If you take it and you pass, you keep your job. If you fail, you're fired. Are you interested? Wow. So I went home and you know what the first thing I said to my girlfriend, now wife? 60 grand, yeah. right? I was yeah. like, yes. I was like, this is going to be awesome. Yeah. There was no freaking universe. I was going to take a medical board without going to medical school. Like, have you lost your mind? Right. <laughs> I figured I'm just going to, I'll work that job. And while I'm there, I'll try to find another job, but at least yeah. I'm making 60 K that's double what I thought I was going to make. Right. This is be awesome. Right. Yeah. And I'm you're taking a year off and you're at where you thought you would be. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I, I go for about a week and my wife said, turns to me and she goes, are you going to do it? I said, do what? She said, take the boards. I said, Lauren, have you lost your mind? I'm like, who does that? She was like, and all she said to me was this one line. She said, I think you could do it. That was all it took. Awesome. So there was a reading list of 14 textbooks. So I bought them all and I rented a, a space in the local law library. So it was nice and quiet. And here's what I did was I opened up the book and I opened up the page and I read a paragraph and I said, what would be a board exam from this paragraph? And I would write it on a flashcard and I'd flip it over and I'd write the answer. And every night I'd 
flip cards. Okay. So I did this for a year. By the end of the year, I had almost 4,000 cards. Okay. Mm-hmm. It would take me north of six to six and a half hours to actually flip through all of them to get there, but you know, to kind of, yeah. again, push it into my brain, that type of thing. And I took the test and I'm one of 168 people in the world that's taken the sleep medicine boards and passed without going to medical school. Wow. So, <laughs> Here's the craziest part. They closed it the next year. So nobody else can actually do it. So from a marketing standpoint, this oh, is yeah. pure gold for me. Um, <laughs> but it's kind of cool because I have this very unique perspective. And now I use that perspective to treat my patients with insomnia. So I use the psychology aspects for all the psychology of insomnia, but I know and understand all the sleep medicine aspects. And I can identify things like apnea, narcolepsy, restless legs, insomnia, all those types of things. And it gives me a much more holistic approach to be able to, to work with people. And so, so I have to ask, since we're there, uh, let's take like just a few minutes, even though I know you can spend this entire podcast. So what is the, what are the underlying psychological causes of insomnia? I'm just got it. Yeah. So it's not hard. The easiest it's anxiety. I, I would argue 75% of, anxi- of insomnia is anxiety or depression, leaning uh-huh. much more towards the anxiety side to be fair. Cause here's yeah. what happens is you get yourself worked up and then it increases adrenaline and cortisol. And then yeah. you can't fall asleep when those things are active in your body. So there's a lot of ways to treat it. There, I would argue there's a whole gamut and, and it's not necessarily like a one size fits all type of treatment when we're talking yeah. about insomnia. Now, to be fair, the literature would argue that the best treatment is actually cognitive behavioral therapy. It lasts longer and it actually is more, gives you more sleep in the long run than any medication out there does. However, it takes longer. It's harder to do. Um, and you really have to have a committed patient in order to do it. But you do relearn the skill set of how to sleep again. I am trained in cognitive behavioral therapy. That is my preferred methodology for all of my patients. But to be fair, there are people out there that need a pill to sleep. And I want to be clear, there is no shame in that. Like if you've got, you know, bipolar disorder and you and your doctor have decided that you need Ambien, take your fucking Ambien. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm not here to tell anybody not to do something. I am here to tell you that there are lots of different ways to treat insomnia and cognitive behavioral therapy is one of the ones that has no side effects, long-term positive effects that actually teaches you sort of what to do. And you can kind of pull it out whenever you need it. Unfortunately, a lot of people get tied to a medication, to a supplement or something along those lines. And we really try to not have as much of that as we do now. Well, yeah. And to me, it seems like there's a balance of treating the cause, not the symptom. And also if you're, as you said, if you're bipolar or something that like you literally can't function without the medication, take the medication. But maybe the answer is both sometimes too, where how do you wean off that medication? Like these are interesting yeah yeah and so as it so along those lines what we do oftentimes is sometimes we'll even use a medication to break the cycle of insomnia right and say like like as an example i was talking the unfortunately the reason i was late today is because i was talking with a patient and what i was talking with her about was this idea of putting her on a medication to break the cycle and so what we generally do is we can put somebody on a medication for three to four months get their circadian rhythms in beat in line moving exactly they want to then we use cognitive behavioral therapy while we are tapering the medication so this is very different than what we see in a lot of other practices where a lot of people will just start to taper the medication and then all of a sudden you were taking 10 milligrams of Ambien. Now you're taking five and you just have to, you're on your fucking own to figure that out, right? Like there's nothing fun about that. So what I tell people is 
We, we actually use scheduling, sleep scheduling techniques to increase sleep deprivation. So this is going to sound counterintuitive, right? So Michael, you're making insomniac sleep deprived? Yes, I am. Because here's what's happening. If I take away five milligrams of Ambien, like we're using in our example here, and you still have the same body and your body required 10 before, five milligrams of Ambien isn't going to do shit, right? right? But if I take your body with five milligrams of Ambien and I make it really, really sleepy and sleep deprived, five milligrams of Ambien might work or will work over the course of time. And that's how we that's how we stair step people and slowly get them off while increasing that sleep deprivation. Then we lay it out so that they get six hours and then we slowly start to back it up. Yeah. So, that so one more question on this before sure. we get back into the Wi-Fi is uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Can you define it? Like, what does that mean? I can. Yeah. So, and that, thank you for doing that because I use that term all the time and a lot of people don't even know what it means. So cognitive behavioral therapy is exactly what it sounds like. It looks at the cognitions or your thoughts and your behaviors and ones that are inconsistent with good uh, sleep, we try to remove those. So as an example, a lot of people will turn to me and they'll say, Michael, if I don't get eight hours, it's going to take years off the back end of my life, right? That's a cognitive distortion, okay? Here's the truth. It isn't going to do shit to the back end of your life, okay? Like to be clear, nobody's losing years because they've got insomnia. And I can show you the data to prove it. So we, we take people who have sometimes irrational thinking, that's the cognitive portion, and we just teach them how to be more rational. The behavioral part of the therapy is the sleep restriction or the sleep scheduling. So as an example, when I got a patient who says, oh, I get in bed at eight o'clock because I'm hoping that I'll fall asleep by 9.30 or 10, I'm like, bro, you're screwing it up. Get in bed at 11.30 when you're already tired, when your body's already exhausted, you have a far greater likelihood of falling asleep. Oh, and by the way, I want you to wake up at six, right? So I only want you to get a small amount of sleep, no naps during the day, build that sleep deprivation up, and then we start to move forward. So we work on the brain and we work on the body. Body at the same time with cognitive. Love that. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you. And so going back to it, so you end up passing the boards. Yes. Thank and, God. <laughs> and yeah, and kept your job then. So now and you I made sleep for my at job. least two years. <laughs> I mean, it was a, it was like a, a twofer, right? Yep. So I was pretty excited about that. And then what ended up happening was I stayed there at that job for about six years and I really saw everything you could see. So I was the junior member of the group. And so when you're the junior member of the group, all the shit slides downhill. So all of the cases that nobody wanted to see that were complicated or anxiety or psychology related, they all started to come to me. And so for the next six to seven years, I was seeing 30 patients a day, reading 10 to 15 sleep studies a night, really learning the medicine, right? And that was fun. And it was interesting. I got to be honest with you. It's kind of boring. It was. So it wasn't enough variety or what was boring about it? There wasn't. I... 95% Yeah. 95% of what I was seeing was sleep apnea, right? Oh, wow. Um, which is sleep apnea is where you your throat collapses in the middle of the night and you have to wear a mask that pushes air down your throat in order to keep you alive all night long. Yeah. 95% of people that go to sleep labs have sleep apnea. A very wow. small percentage have anything else. And so I was kind of getting bored. So I went back into the business office and I was like, hey, how do we make money? And you know what she told me? She said, well, Dr. Bruce, some days we do and some days we don't. I was like, that's not a good business model. Yeah. Right. And so I took my vacation time and I stayed into the financial section of our practice and I sat with these women. So you took who were a vacation helping. by going into finance, just to clarify what? that. You just said, <laughs> yeah. So what I did was I took a week off, but I came into work every day and I worked with these people who were getting our money for us. And I started to learn the system. And here's what I learned. It's broken. Like oh, yeah. it's broken, broken, broken. I mean, I've never seen a situation like if you went to go get your haircut and the barber says, hey, it's going to be 20 bucks for you to get your haircut. He cuts your hair when you get 
out of the chair, you hand him a $10 bill and say, that's it. That wouldn't go over too well. You'd probably get a scissor in the side of your head, right? But that's exactly what happens in healthcare is we negotiate a price with an insurance company. We perform a service and then they pay us a percentage of that service. And so I learned a lot about how do doctor's offices make money and how do doctor's offices lose money? And a lot of people wanted to understand how we had such a successful sleep laboratory. So I opened up my own consulting company where I started teaching sleep doctors all around the world how to open up successful sleep lab. And here was my thought process. Doctors are horrible business people. We're just bad at it because we don't really think that way. And so what I did was I had a very strict set of rules that I would institute with these doctors and we could get them to develop successful sleep labs because I figured the more successful sleep labs we have, the fewer drowsy drivers we have on the road because people are getting treated. And so hopefully that that works out better for everybody in the long run. So started to learn more about the medicine, started to learn more about the business, started to do all that. And then I got asked to do this consulting job and it it was a big consulting job. So it was a company that wanted to do what's called a sleep laboratory roll up, which Mm -hmm. means they wanted to go around and buy sleep labs from all around the country and then get economies of scale from different factors that would be common to all the sleep labs, like electrodes and things of that nature. Right. Mm -hmm. And on, interestingly enough, the leader of the company was a guy named John Walton, Sam's son. Wow. Right. So we had an infinite amount of money available to us to do whatever we wanted to do in terms of buying sleep laboratories. Turns out John had gone into a sleep laboratory, thought it was a horrible experience and bought it just to figure out how to make it better and then created this company and then started to do these things. So for the next few months, I was going back and forth from Phoenix to Georgia, using up all my vacation time, which I had never taken a vacation in seven years, surprise, surprise, and doing this consulting. And then finally, John walked up to me and he was like, we just want to hire you full time. And so I was like, awesome, let's go. So sell the house in Georgia, pack up the family, move to- How does the wife feel about this? She seems to be supportive so far. (laughs) So the- for, so the good news is, is we had just had our two children. So we had a two-year-old and a three-year-old. Uh, my wife is a stay-at-home mom, formerly an attorney. And so she was fine with moving out of the state. And Arizona, we didn't know much about it, but we figured, eh, how bad could it be? Yeah. Newsflash, Arizona's fucking hot. And it was really hot. I'm well aware. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I wasn't because I hadn't spent that much time in Arizona before, but we moved there. Tragically, six weeks after we moved there, John died in a plane crash. So our founder was gone. And so it was a very different universe working for the estate. And to be very honest with you, some of the members of the of the company asked me to do something that I thought was both ethically and morally not right. And I told them that they asked me to do and then they asked me to do it again. And I said, that's fraud. And I'm not losing my life license to do that. And I said, I can either resign or you cannot do that. And they said, you can resign. And so I did. And then six months later, somebody dropped a dime on them, not me. And the whole thing got shut down by the office of the inspector general because they were doing something that was fraudulent in the sleep space. So now I'm kind of hanging out looking for something to do. Now, the good news is, is right as I was leaving Atlanta, one of my close friends had uh, taken on a vice presidency job at this company called Medscape that turned into WebMD. Uh-huh. Okay? And he called me up and he was like, Michael, 
we don't have a sleep guy and we need somebody. Are you interested? And I was like, sure, let's go. And so I became the WebMD sleep expert. Uh-huh. I was the WebMD sleep expert for 15 years and I uh-huh. produced almost all the content on there, the early content. We even had, if you remember, message boards. Yep. I answered over 4,000 questions on message boards for WebMD. So yep. I really got good at thinking through on my feet questions, understanding how to answer them so that people could have an actionable thing, not just some theoretical, you know, oh, go talk to your doctor bullshit, but like really, what can you do? What do you I would say, assume it's not like the rest of WebMD, which is like, I have this, oh, you're going to die. Right. <laughs> everything you look right. for on Everything you're going to die. I have to tell my wife to stop and we have a three month old now. And so I'm like, do not. Oh, amazing. Google. Yeah, it's amazing. But I'm like, do not Google anything. Like, no. God, no. no. And and if your child ever has sleep issues, call me. Don't look on WebMD. I knock, knock on wood. So far, so good. But yeah. <laughs> thank you're, you. you're in a great space for right yeah. now. So, so I was the WebMD sleep expert and um, I met with, I met with somebody who said, you know, you should have a book. And so I was like, okay, I hadn't really thought about it. So I didn't understand how the book writing process works. So in the nonfiction book world, what you do is you write what's called a nonfiction book proposal, which is actually a business plan for the book. And it's like, what is your platform? Blah, 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 blah. And so I worked with somebody and we put together a nonfiction book proposal. And I was very fortunate. My book went to auction and I was, I got a contract and started writing books. And so every five years or so, I write a new book. And the reasoning behind that is because I, in 2008, I created a brand and the brand is called The Sleep Doctor. So I own the website, all the social. And what we discovered is when you write a book, every single television show in the universe will have you on and you can talk about your book. You can't talk about your product. You can't talk about your service, but you can talk about your book. The other thing we learned is that right around the four and a half to five year mark is when people get tired of talking about that book. So you got to write a second or a third or a fourth. So I've been at this for 20 years. And so I just had my fourth book come out this past December and we'll start working on another book. What's it called? Actually, a little bit earlier this year. Um, what's that? What's the most recent book called? The most re- recent book is called Energize, How to Go from Dragging Ass to Kicking It in 30 Days. And it's a sleep movement intermittent fasting program that uh-huh. really works very well with the research that's gone on so far today, keeping people energetic without caffeine, things of that nature. So yep. the, the brand has kind of proliferated. And so now people see it quite often. I'm very lucky. I've been in, I'm in the media almost every day answering interview questions or on television asking questions about sleep. And to be fair, I don't think it's me. I think it's the topic, right? Like it's the most evergreen topic. You can oh, it's, you're also the expert. You're the known expert in it. So everybody right. everybody sleeps, hopefully. And so everybody's got some level of interest in it. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I remember when we first met, you were speaking at a YPO yep. event in New York a few years ago. Yep. And uh, yeah, when I was invited to it, I was like, this sounds great. Like, why wouldn't I want to learn more about my sleep? Like, why wouldn't anybody? So yeah, yeah. it's it's really interesting. And so now what I do now is I'm I'm actually a high performance sleep coach. Mm-hmm. So for example, I could work with you, Eric, as the CEO of your company. And you might turn to me and say, Michael, I know I need eight, but I only have time for six. Can you do that? The answer is yes, I can. I can show you how to do that in a healthy way. That's not going to cause any long-term damage. So we look at genetics. We look at something called your chronotype, which is your internal genetic uh, kind of sleep schedule. And I can work it and fix it so that once we identify that and we get you to do that on a regular basis, your sleep actually begins to consolidate in terms of amount, but the quality increases. So you have less, but it's better. Yeah, makes sense. Got it. And so you got you the first book you said was 2008, right? The first book was, yes, 2008, 2009. Um, That was called Good Night, The Sleep Doctor's Four-Week Program to Better Sleep and Better Health. Mm -hmm. Then about four years later, I wrote The 
sleep doctor's diet. So that talked about the, the relationship between sleep and the metabolic process. So what people don't understand is if you don't sleep, you can't lose weight. It's actually impossible to do so. Exactly. So you've got all these people out there who are only sleeping five hours a night. What causes diet plans and they're never going to work? What causes that? Why can't you lose weight? So it's interesting. So it's a, there's four pieces of information that, that, that are important here. So number one, when you become sleep deprived, which by the way, that's a definition for you, right? So I can sleep for five and a half hours and be fine. You could sleep for five and a half hours and it could be a disaster for you, right? Yeah. So whatever that definition is of sleep deprivation for you, there's four things that happen that make it almost impossible to lose weight. Number one, as soon as you become sleep deprived, your metabolism slows down and your appetite increases. Now, this is a basic survival instinct. Yeah, your body is basically saying, I'm up, forage for food, look for resources, like get yourself hungry to go look for it and then slow the metabolism down so we don't use up too much. Yeah. The second thing that happens is two hormones go completely out of whack. Ghrelin, which is the go hormone, which actually facilitates hunger. By the way, hunger and appetite are two completely different things in the brain. So you've already got your appetite high from the sleep deprivation. Now ghrelin kicks in with the hunger and then something called leptin, which makes you feel full or a feeling of satiety decreases. So you've got high appetite, high hunger, low feelings of fullness and low metabolism, right? But wait, it gets worse. So what happens is, is when you're up, your brain has got cortisol and adrenaline running around because that's what keeps you awake. Your brain doesn't like to have that going for long periods of time. So what it does is it wants something called serotonin to come in and calm your brain down. You know what the easiest way to get serotonin is? Eat a Snickers, right? Yeah. Have a muffin, right? Yeah. So what happens is, is your body starts to crave high fat, high caloric foods, right? So it's impossible, right? You have high hunger, high appetite, low metabolism, yeah. low feelings of satiety, and you're craving Snickers. Like there's no fucking universe where you're going to fall asleep, right? Yep. So and lose weight. So at the end of the day, it turns out to be a, a big issue. My third book was really my most popular book and it's called The Power of When. And it's all about these things called chronotypes. So you might not have heard of the term, but people out there have probably heard of the, if you've ever been called an early bird or a night owl before. Yeah. So it turns out that's genetic. And once we figure that out for you individually, we can actually teach people the perfect time of day to go to sleep, wake up, have sex, eat a cheeseburger, ask their boss for a raise, drink coffee, drink alcohol. It's unbelievable. The science on this is incredible. We have over 220 studies in the book. I would argue this is my favorite of my four books because it's really very, it's very utility driven. You can take a quiz online. If you go to chronoquiz.com, you can take a quiz, figure out your chronotype and then figure out when to do stuff. Yeah, that's great. The practicality of it is awesome. And so as you publish these books, you built a name for yourself. You said that people would have you on TV. You developed this brand, The Sleep Doctor. How did that affect your career? Like what it sounds like, again, as you said, you're now a sleep coach. Is that the main focus in terms of what brings in money and all that side of things too? Yeah. So, so what I do now is because I'm such a known quantity by the media, I do science-backed endorsement deals, right? Mm -hmm. So if you've got a product that has real science behind it, I'm the guy that talks about it on the Today Show. I'm the guy that yeah. talks about it in the Washington Post or the or the Wall Street Journal, right? So companies yeah. now hire me as a mouthpiece for their sleep-related products. But the reason they use somebody like me as opposed to an actor or somebody like that is I'm a freaking sleep doctor. So there isn't a question I can't answer about the, the product itself in very unique ways. And I can give people practical information and how to use the product from a sleep doctor perspective. And that could be anything from a mattress to a pillow, to a sinus thing, to a new CPAP machine, to insomnia supplementation. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And so what I did was I leveraged my media presence and then people started to come to me and they say, hey, I saw you on the Today Show. Can you talk about my product on there? And my answer is, yeah, if you give me some money and you got some real science, let's go. And that's really how it kind of started. Before Has that ever COVID, backfired? Have you ever partnered with a product that you 
ended up ended up not working out or like that you're like oof that great question yep. so we have a we have a way to not do that and so every every product that i work with has to have published data yep. so if you don't have the data i'm not interested in working with you now there is one caveat which is if you want to get the data i can lead you to a research facility that i have an arm's distance length from and they can run the research for you prove your product works then you come back so i haven't really had the experience where i was upset that i endorsed a product that didn't really work or that had a de- deleterious effects on people or something of that nature because i i do the data first and i only talk about data nice got it and so you're now you're so you're working on your fifth book now as you're just i am nice. i'm curious you know a couple more questions here what's next you've built this brand you're working with products it sounds like you're not worried about paying your bills at this point you're the sleep doctor you found your calling it works so yeah what what do you see coming down the pike for you how do you see this progressing you know it's interesting i have a lot of different aspirations of ways to educate people that i'd love to see happen i mean to be really honest with you i'd love to do a reality tv show surrounding sleep Mm -hmm. right so did you ever see that show back in the day called the dog whisperer with caesar milan right so i want to do that for sleep right putting people in their place when they're doing something wrong (laughs) yeah so like like going to somebody's home and seeing what the dynamic is and redoing their bedroom and you know getting them treatment and like doing the whole thing i think that could be something that would be really cool i think people would find it interesting for sure i do i will tell you eric i want to start to learn a little bit more about the world of dreams and dreaming there are people out there who do dream interpretation to be clear that's all bullshit there's no science behind any of that but there are people out there who do dream therapy that is a real science you can get a uh, actually a clinical degree in dream therapy and i'm very interested to learn more about that because it's kind of a offshoot of what i've done historically but i've never done dream work and i think it could be very interesting and it's kind of one one of the next things i want to try also i really like doing the high performance sleep coach work so like as an example one of my patients that's allowed me to talk about him is a gentleman by the name of steve aoki he's a uh, electronic dance dj guy right but he doesn't go on stage until one o'clock in the morning right and then he's got to be on for four and a half hours and then he's got to get off at 4 30 hop on a plane and go to ibiza and then do it all again right and so i manage his sleep in between and and before all of those events so he's at an energy level where he can perform right so i like those kind of interesting unique situations i'm also very curious to learn more about ptsd um and sort of what's been going on with our veterans and people who've been in an active theater of war almost none of them can sleep well and so i'm very very curious about uh, potential new ways to help them and then i think the final thing i'm interested in is probably cannabis there's been i've probably written more about cannabis than any other sleep specialist in the country but i really think that that's where we're going to start to see some of the next progress going on from a supplementation standpoint specifically for insomnia or for improving sleep quality we're not there yet i want to be very clear like nobody's got a product that's going to do it yet but my prediction and i'm making it here on your podcast is that cannabis will replace ambient in 10 years wow very interesting and so last question for me sure what would be your advice for someone looking to pursue their dreams i mean you had again such a you had a path that you ended up in this because you thought it was a you know a way in for what you really wanted to do like right. what's something you either were told or heard or wish you were told along the way that would help someone get to pursuing their dreams the biggest one for me honestly has just been persistence it's just keeping one foot in front of the other i i didn't always know the right direction to go in eric i'll, I'll be honest with you but i i knew that if i just kept going forward that i would eventually 
run into, see, become passionate about something that would really kind of get me going and kind of yeah. bring me there. I, I was the kid in college who, if the class was full, I showed up every day, sat in the front row, took notes during drop ad. And when I went up to the professor at the end of drop ad, he would say, or she would say, you've been in class every single day, participating and taking notes. You're the only person I'm going to let into this class. And it worked every single time because yep. of persistence, right? Yep. The other big thing I will tell people out there, especially if you're interested in getting involved in the media, which I am heavily, heavily, heavily involved with, one rule about the media, it is not your show. It is their show. Your yep. job is to make them look good. Every appearance is an audition to be asked back. Okay? Yep. So when I'm on, I've, I've seen this happen hundreds of times. I've been, I've been on the biggest shows in the world, Oprah, you, you name it. Uh, I've been on stage for Tony Robbins. I've seen all of this shit happen. And here's what people do is they get there, they lose their brain and they think this is the only time I'm ever going to get a chance to say something. And they try to say every single thing that they can about their product or their service turns into a mini commercial. They're never asked back. And that's not how you build a brand, right? Yep. Building a brand is about consistent, good information, being a reliable source and really helping journalists to tell the story. You're pitching my book now. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, Michael, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for coming on Hawk Talk. Well, thanks for having me, Eric. I, I'm glad we got a chance to reconnect. I know we met a gazillion years ago and then we recently were at a dinner together. So I'm thrilled to have that connection back with you again. I hope we get a chance to hang out again soon sometime. And I wanted to thank you and all your listeners and just remind everybody, everybody has the ability to sleep. Don't worry, you can sleep. I promise you, promise you, promise you. It is a possibility. Sweet dreams to everybody out there. Thank you, sir. You've been listening to Hawk Talk. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars you think this podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.